Well, it's wonderful to see you tonight, and uh, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 127. We'll review just a little bit, and uh, we'll focus in on verse 3. We've been talking about how this psalm tells us these things that are vain, that are useless, worthless, those type of things. And so uh, we're looking at it from that standpoint. No matter what you do and how much you try to do what is right or what will benefit you or anyone else, without the blessing of the Lord, it all just comes to nothing. Uh, Solomon wrote this psalm, and in another particular uh, book that he wrote, Ecclesiastes, he would use the word vanity, and the idea of vanity is in this psalm too, the word vain, just empty, emptiness. And if there's anything that I think describes life today, it's just emptiness, empty pursuits, empty goals, and uh, just empty in purpose, empty in meaning, and people say that type of thing all of the time. And I do find it ironic that a society that works really hard to say there is no God. We're just here by random chance, by the process of evolution and mutation and death and all of that. And then they whine because they don't have a purpose in life. Well, evolution does not have a purpose. It's all just random chance. It's when you have a creator God that creates humans in his image and for his glory that there we find our purpose and we find the reason for our existence. And so uh, as a society, how do we notice and see that society is in decline? Now, the basic theme of this song is without the Lord's blessing, all human toil is worthless and empty. And we said in uh, week one that society is in decline when it attempts to succeed as a secular society. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And boy, have we ever spent about probably a century, at least a half a century. That's been our goal educationally and morally, spiritually and everything is we can do this without God. We're America after all and we're powerful, we're strong, we are rich and we can make it happen and we are seeing the fruits of a couple of generations now of trying to be a secular society and it's not a pretty thing and it's going to get worse if things don't turn around and God doesn't intervene. Secondly, we said a society is in decline when it uh, places an inordinate trust in military might. Well, after all, we've got hydrogen bombs. I mean, nobody can defeat us. And uh, there have been a lot of great empires that have said and thought much the same thing. We're too big to fall. We're too big to fail. No one has a chance against us. And uh, Persia and uh, Babylon and Greece and Rome, where are they now? Where are they now? And no one thought they could be defeated we don't put our trust in military might I think it's important and uh, we want it but the scripture says unless the Lord guards the city the watchman stays awake in vain so if God takes his hand off and the protection and the hedge of protection is gone you would be surprised how things could fall apart and what could happen so we don't want to trust simply in our military might number three <clears throat> A society is in decline when it finds identity and security in work 
or wealth. What I do and what I have. What I do and what I have makes me somebody. That's a terrible way to live and it's an even worse way to die. And yet that's where we find ourselves thinking that that's who we really are. We're uh, the sum total of what we possess and the type of thing we do and how much other people fear us and how much power we have over other people. That really makes us somebody. But the Bible says, 127 verse 2, it is vain or empty for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. Well, that's not nice to hear, is it? The bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Okay, so we don't want to do that either. And that brings us to the next one, part four. We know uh, society is in decline when they don't value their children. When they don't see children as a blessing, but they're a burden. And every time I think about this, I know I've said this, I don't know, maybe a hundred times, but I'll never forget when Barack Obama was running for president and the abortion issue came up. And of course, he is extremely pro-abortion, radically pro-abortion. And um, he was asked about that and he said, well, if one of my daughters... Uh, as they grow up, they were pretty young then, and they make a mistake, he said, and this part's verbatim, I don't want them punished with a baby. And that's kind of the way our society thinks. Babies get in the way. Babies keep women from really being fulfilled because after all, uh, you women, you're really not much of anything unless you can be like a man, which kind of shoots the feminist movement in the foot, doesn't it? I mean, if you're going to be, we're, we are woman, hear me roar. I hate that song. And I can't stand Helen Reddy. And, uh, you know, when you think about that, 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 here we are, feminists. We're, what was it they used to have on Rush Limbaugh? We're fierce, we're feminist, and we're in your face. And it was uh, Patricia Ireland or somebody like that. And with that, and at the same time, you measure yourself by how equal you are, and if you can do the same things that men can do, that sounds like anything but feminism, doesn't it? And now we find that people can just, uh, you know, if a man says, hey, I find it more advantageous to be a woman, so I'll just change and identify as a woman, and then I can be an NCAA champion swimmer, because I'm competing with the girls and I can be in a locker room with women and I can do all of these kind of things. It's just nuts the way we are trying to live. And we look at all of this downplaying, in, in my mind, all of the stuff we're doing today downplays the role and the value of women. And it says that you're not worth anything unless you can be a man. But now the men are saying, well, we're going to be the women. And it's just all convoluted. There was a guy the other day that uh, had a sex change operation to become a woman. And his goal, he said, is to have a uterus implanted in him. I mean, this is weird. And it's sick. Have a uterus implanted in him so he can be the first trans... Do you call him trans woman? I get them mixed up, okay? He can be the first to have an abortion. Isn't that sick? In other words, I want to become a woman so I can kill a baby. All of this kind of stuff that is going on is causing several things to happen. 
Our marriage rate is dropping because a lot of people just aren't bothering to get married and they're kind of tired of the whole thing anyway. And our birth rate is dropping. All throughout history, a nation has considered themselves to be strong and in good shape if their fertility rate was high and they had children. They had babies. They had population. They had strength. You see, when you have a lot of children in a, in a nation, you have, first of all, more manpower or woman power, as the case may be. And uh, you also have more talent. You have more science. I've often thought, that uh, one day we might stand before the Lord. I, I doubt this happens, but sanctified imagination. And we say, oh Lord, why did you not answer our prayer to cure cancer? Only to hear the Lord say, I did, and you aborted him. Wouldn't it serve us right to think about that? And so I think about what we're doing. We're just killing ourselves. And as the birth rate goes down, I heard a, a person on a podcast the other day say, and so if this is wrong, blame them, not me. Uh, I'm just repeating what I heard, that it takes um, a birth rate of, of 2.1 to re just replace ourselves. I don't know where the point one comes from. Um, I don't understand some of that. And ours right now is at 1.6. And so we are declining. Our population is declining. Our numbers are declining. And a lot of that, you can take the last 50 years of the idea that you're just a second-rate citizen. If all you can do is have babies, you're, you're second class. You've got to be a CEO, and you've got to be a general, and you've got to do all of these other things, or you're not really worth much. And so we look and we watch as our population declines. Now, here's something else to think about. If people aren't getting married and the people aren't having children in the numbers that we used to, uh, do you know when it is that young people, when they kind of go through their you know, rebellious phase and uh, they get on their own, maybe in college or something like that, uh, it's, it's been this way for a long time. They kind of tend to drift away from church. You know when they come back? Historically, it's been this way for decades and decades when they get married and when they start having children and it dawns on them we're responsible for this child and we want this child to know stories like David and Goliath we want them to know stories like Daniel in the lion's den we want them to have a good moral foundation and upbringing and it used to be the idea that uh, people thought even lost people that every kid ought to be in Sunday school they ought to learn those kind of things did you know that uh, as of this year, church attendance is below 50% in the United States of America? I don't know that it's ever been that low, but it is rapidly declining. And when you think of all these statistics that I just gave you, think about this. If people are not getting married, and if they are not having children, then they're not saying, hey, we need to take our child and get them in church. And it's it just everything is in this downward spiral because we don't really believe what the Bible says. And it tells us here, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is His reward. We don't really believe that. 
We think that babies are going to limit us. We think they're going to hold us back. We think that they're going to keep us from having all of the things and the positions and all of that that we want to have. And it shows that we really are devaluing children because they are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is not a curse, not a punishment, not uh, a disgrace. It is a reward. And we've got to start, we've got to set the pace. As Christian people, we've got to start valuing children and showing the world and showing our society what it looks like when parents really love their children. And a lot of that has to do with uh, morality and obeying what the Scripture says. I've noticed that uh, lately on TV, uh, you watch a cop show or something like that, and then there are these two people that are, you know, shooting bad guys and chasing them down. Then all of a sudden they're going out on dates, man and a woman. And then the next thing you find out is she has news for him. I got to tell you something, and it's all serious, and the music is in the background. And you know what she's going to say. I'm pregnant. Okay? First thing that comes up is this man who's such a sensitive man. And I wonder, well, I'll support you whatever you decide to do. Do you think you want to keep the child? And if she says no, then he's just got to go along with it, you know. And uh, even though it's his child too, I never understand why they talk about a woman's right to choose. There's a daddy involved in that. Right? And that's completely left out. And so if they, she decides, well, I think I want to keep it, then you know what they talk about? Well, maybe we ought to think about getting married. That's kind of the way our society is. We've got everything backwards, upside down, twisted around, convoluted, and we can't figure out why crime's going through the roof, why there's drug and alcohol abuse. Uh, like we have never seen before, why suicide is going up. We wonder why families can't function. We wonder why kids have so many uh, problems and things like that. Well, just think about it. Things honestly and demonstrably worked better when we at least tried to do things God's way. The thief comes, but to do what? Kill? Steal? and destroy look what he's done to the family and look what he's done to our children and when you go to the inner city and you find out that uh, in the inner cities of our nation about 70 to 80 percent of the children are born out of wedlock and a lot of that is because the government gives more money if you don't have a father in the home what does that say to a child what does that do to a child? What does that say about what we think about children and all of that? It's terrible. Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord. Well, we sure don't act like it, do we? And the fruit of the womb is a reward. What if we really, really believe that and live that way? Well, don't hold your breath for the media to start pushing that don't hold your breath for hollywood to start pushing that don't hold your breath for the lost world to just one day go ding hey you know what we need to have intact families and two-parent families and we need to wait until 
um, after we're married, before we have children. But, you know, it is interesting because, again, they're shooting themselves in the foot because there have been studies that have been done by prestigious schools and universities that show that uh, a child has about an 80% chance of escaping, listen, escaping poverty no matter where they live, inner city, urban areas, rural areas, an 80% chance of escaping poverty if they will graduate from high school, if they will get married and uh, then have their children, if they'll do those three things, then uh, everything changes for them. But we are bound and determined. Go back to sermon number one out of this psalm. We will do it without God, and we will do it our way. And we don't even want the Ten Commandments hung up in a school anywhere because a child might read it, and they might think of it, and they might actually start doing it. And uh, we, we can't have anything like that. And so we watch everything unravel because we won't do even the simplest things the way God said to do them. So for us, we want to pray tonight that we'll be the ones that will uh, change things, that we'll be the ones that will set a good example. Now, number one, I want you to think about this, this one verse. This is a major issue. And I'm afraid for a lot of people, we go, well, I'm against abortion, but well, I'd never have one, so it's no big deal. No, it's a major scourge on our land. The blood of these innocent babies cry out to our God like the blood of innocent Abel did, crying out to God after he was murdered by Cain. And as we look at this, how do I know it's a major issue? This one word jumped out at me, and it's the word behold. Maybe if you have an authorized version, it says lo. Same, same Hebrew word can be translated either way. Behold, behold. You know what that is? That's an attention-getting word. That means don't just run past this. Now you'll notice that in this psalm with the other issues we read, it doesn't say behold, it doesn't have that. But now we get down here to kind of the middle of it and all of a sudden, and by the way, pay attention to this. Look at this. Behold, behold. What is going on here? So what he is saying is a major issue. God takes the issue of how we think about children and how we value children. He takes it seriously even if you don't. He takes it seriously even if I don't. He takes it seriously even if our nation and our society and our culture doesn't. And so he calls our attention. Behold, he says. That means pay attention to this and consider this and think about it. Now I want you to think about how many times you've use the word behold. If you're like me, probably not much. I don't ever, behold, I am hungry. You know, nothing like that. But it was common back in uh, Bible times, and especially with the Hebrew word that they used, it's used a lot in the Old Testament, but it's also used in the New Testament. And it's always an attention-getting word. Pay attention. Listen up. I want you to think about something. The birth of Jesus Christ is what I call behold worthy. Luke chapter 2 verse 10. And the angel said to them, the shepherds, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay? Behold. So they stick that in there. Don't let this run past you. This is important. Behold is in there. I also found that 
the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, is behold worthy too. In Revelation 1 verse 7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes on the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. Notice that behold. Behold, He is coming. So, obviously, the birth of Christ is a big deal. It has a behold in it. Pay attention to this. And obviously the return of Christ is a big deal because it has a behold in it. Well see I use that to illustrate the fact that when the Bible says behold children are a heritage of the Lord that is as important as we see these other doctrines and statements in the Bible. This is not just a Catholic issue as I was told when I was about 13. I saw a bumper sticker. It was 1973 the year the Supreme Court uh, made abortion legal and I saw a bumper sticker that said something about abortion I didn't know what abortion was and I asked somebody about it what, what does that mean and they go oh it doesn't matter it's a Catholic issue I beg to differ this is an issue that God points out to us and he starts it with the word behold behold Pay attention to this. This is something that affects society. This is something that affects our life. This is something that we've got to take seriously. So don't pass this by and don't ignore it. And uh, this kind of has a warning tone to it like everything else in this particular psalm. And uh, this reminds us again the basic theme of this psalm. Without the Lord's blessing, all human toil is worthless. And I don't know of anything that would take the blessing of the Lord away from a nation or away from a society than the murder of innocent babies in the place that ought to be the safest. And that's their mother's womb. I mean, it'll affect us economically. It'll affect us morally. It'll affect us in terms of our relationships. It'll affect us in everything that we do. If we don't have the blessing of God, we are toast. And everything will begin to unravel. And that's why this is such an important and a major issue for all of us. And I really am grateful for the uh, justices on the Supreme Court that uh, overturned Roe v. Wade. And now uh, there are a lot of people that are talking about a federal ban on abortion. And you're probably never going to get that uh, to be done. I think it's best left up to the states. And I'm glad we live in a state that pretty much takes a, a conservative and moral stance on all of this. But it's something that uh, ought to grieve all of us to think that states like California and New York are actually going to pay people from red states like ours to come to their state and to have an abortion. I mean, that's just, again, I, the word sick isn't strong enough, is it? It's just not strong enough for all of that. That's why you got to vote. That's why you got to be informed. And that's why you got to pray. And that's why every once in a while you ought to have a fast and fast for your nation and fast for your neighbors. I mean, this stuff is just amazing how it has come upon our land. And so whether we're building a house, whether we're guarding a city, whether we are producing wealth, whatever it is, or even having kids, none of this is possible without the Lord and it's pointless without His blessing. And we're seeing the fruit of that in so many lives now, okay? So, behold, that makes it a big, big deal. Number two, uh, think about this. Children, according to this, are both an inheritance and an asset. Okay, 
Why would I word it like that? Well, the Bible says that they are a reward from God. The Bible says they are the heritage of the Lord. Heritage, that's the kind of language that you would use in the Bible about a will, the transfer of land, the passing on of the land that Moses assigned you and Joshua assigned you and secured for you and you want to keep that in the family you want to keep that in the tribe you want to keep that in as an inheritance it's a heritage that you pass on the land of Israel a heritage that is to be passed on and passed on well the Bible says here that children are the same thing just as an Israeli would guard that land that had been given to him by his ancestors the Bible tells us we're to have that same idea about our children but think about it when an Israeli would get that land after they came out of Egypt, they received that land. It was given to them by God. And then they would give it to their heirs. They would give it to their children. And it would go on to their grandchildren and great-grandchildren and on and on and on. And uh, if it ever was sold because of indebtedness or something like that, every 50 years there was a year of jubilee and they had a reset and all the land went back to the original tribes that uh, where they started and where they were assigned it was very important to them any uh, coincidence that Solomon uses that same idea when we talk about children because children you know everybody says oh let's get married and, and let's make a baby we created this life oh, come on you did not only God is the author of life amen and so when we think about our children we didn't make them. We didn't do anything like that. It, it, it all came about because of God. God made those children and we received them. We received them like an Israeli would inherit their land. They received the land. We receive a child as a gift from God. Okay? And then generally speaking, I know it's not 100% true. I wish it was. I wish it were. But uh, generally, we leave our children behind after we're dead and gone and uh, we that's why it's so unnatural for us lost or saved it's so unnatural and we grieve so hard whenever we bury a child some of you know what that is like it's just not the normal way things are supposed to be we are supposed to leave our children when we go to heaven we're supposed to leave them when our body is put into the ground and so on one hand we receive them like an inheritance like grandma's old clock or china or something and then on the same time it's an asset that we leave behind what do you leave when you die everything you leave all your money you leave your land you leave your houses you leave your cars you leave everything you've got like that and so that's what we do with our children we leave them behind and uh, the Bible is going to say in the next verse next week a little bit about that and so uh, these are given to us as a blessing and they're supposed to be a blessing they're an asset they're not a liability and they live on after we are gone. In Israel, they would carry on the family name. They would carry on the family trade. And they would possess the family's land. They preserve society. They preserve culture. They preserve values. And they even were used to preserve their religion. That's why Moses said, You shall teach these to your children and your children's children. Uh, when you lay down and when you sit and when you walk and when you come in and when you go out. In other words, parents, you're supposed to be educating your children in the things of the Lord in every aspect of life, not just a formal 
uh, setting where you have 10 minutes of devotion and then go to bed and that's it. No, it's supposed to be in everything that you do. That's how we pass the faith and the culture all along. And hopefully it's more than culture with our children. Hopefully it's real. But that's what they did in ancient Israel because they saw a responsibility to train up this child. This child's got to take my place. This child has to learn the values that God has given us and the truth. And of course, for us, that is the gospel. Number three, children, we, we've kind of said this uh, about 50 different ways here already tonight. Uh, number three, children are never an accident. They are created intentionally. Uh, why do you think it is that the enemy works so hard to tell your children you're nothing but a highly evolved ape or an animal? Why do you think they want to do that? Because if children ever began to see that they were created by God, that they were created the way they are, they're created in, and in the, uh, the way they are formed by God, they're created with the heritage that they have from their parents, and they are created to live in the place that they live. Look, it's no accident that you're an American. Now, you could have just as easily been born in India or someplace like that, but you weren't. You were born here for such a time as this. A sovereign God put you here to have impact through your prayers and through your witness and through your giving and through your relationships and through your worship. All of that has an impact. You are salt and light, Jesus said, in this land. In this land. Now, God may call you to go somewhere else, but probably not. Most people are not called to leave their country and go somewhere else. Some are. And we always pray for them and, and we hope we will be obedient and that our children will be obedient if they are called that way. I think about Ron and Rita's granddaughter, um, Elizabeth, and think about that and think about people who do those kind of things. That's good. But most of us are going to be here because God wants us to live here and be salt and light here. And that is no accident and it's not random chance. And so... Um, we think about how God created us for this time, for this generation, for the time in which we have lived, the experiences that, that we have had, and then also to pass that on to the ones who are coming along behind us because they are going to need it. And sometimes we look and say, oh, how would they ever stand up? Well, they, they can do it because God made them for their generation, not yours. And he didn't make you for theirs. We don't understand them. They don't understand us. And technology is just going way too fast for all of us. And uh, yet he will equip people for that. And a hundred years from now, if the Lord doesn't return, there will be preachers, and they may be some of those um, uh, children of some of those snot-nosed kids you watched in the nursery or taught in Awana, right? But they will be there. And God has always had a people, and he will never be without a witness and these are the reason that we take care of children. In uh, Genesis chapter 1, I got the verse written down on that slide. I got ahead of myself. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 28, not 22. 22 says kind of the same thing, but it's talking to animals. We don't want to talk to animals. And uh, Genesis 1, 28 is the verse where God tells Adam and Eve, you be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. 
Now, we live in an age where we're told, number one, we're not superior to the animals. We're just one of them. And we're just lucky because mutations took place that uh, caused us to be more highly evolved than some others. But, uh, you know, really our life is no more valuable than anyone else's. The Bible teaches that life, human life, is sacred because we're made in the image of God. Nah, nah, you're just a lucky monkey. That's really all you are, just a lucky monkey. You know, sometimes I look around and I go, I'm almost persuaded to believe because some of these people really do look like they came from apes, don't they? But we didn't. We didn't. And the Bible says to Adam and Eve that you are to be fruitful and multiply. I don't worry about overpopulation. God knows how much the earth can stand and what they can take. And uh, don't, don't worry about that. That's another myth to try to get us to have fewer children, to try to control our lives, to try to get us to use less energy because what right do we have to rob Mother Earth of all of her resources? Mother Earth, give me a break. It's Father God that we ought to be thinking about, right? And uh, we are to subdue the earth. We're to dominate the earth. We are to use the uh, nature and the animal kingdom and all of the resources of the world. We're to use that and use it for the glory of God. We're stewards of this earth. I don't think that I have the idea that we ought to just pollute and use up everything. No, we're stewards. We need to use it properly. But this panic of climate change, global warming, global cooling when I was a kid... They told us when I was in about third or fourth grade in our weekly readers, uh, for one thing, they said that by the 80s we'd have flying cars. I'm still a little disappointed over that. But the other thing they told us is that pollution was going to block out the sun and it was going to block out the, uh, the heat that would come from that and that by the time we reached the year 2000, the polar ice caps would be way down further south than they uh, are and that uh, life forms would be dying because of global cooling. Well, amazing, by the time I was 20, it was, we've got a hole in the ozone layer. What are we going to do? And we've only got about 10 years before our oceans will fail and before everything uh, goes away. They have had so many deadlines, whether it's Al Gore or Ted Danson or any of these people. They all give you these time. If we don't do something now, and it always involves controlling your life and spending your money on tax money and uh, if we do that then we can save the planet right i just wonder what god thinks about how arrogant we are if we think we as puny humans can destroy the planet that he made uh, we can't and then the other thing that happens they keep changing and they say oh no the ozone well you know what's amazing now that, that they're telling us now that the ozone uh, even though you you know, I guess because you quit using your aerosol hairspray uh, and your deodorant. Remember, right guard? You know, you can't get those things anymore. And uh, I guess that's closed up the ozone. I don't know, but they had to move on to something else. And then they got to global warming and, oh no, the Earth's temperature is up over the last 50 years, a degree and a half. And, uh, you know, folks, we've got uh, fossils of tropical plants in places now that are very, very, very cold. You know what that tells me? There was global warming a long time ago, even before you had an SUV. You know what? Climate change, sure. It always changes. But we don't control it. And generally, when we look back through history, the times when the earth was the warmest, that's when people thrived. That's when crops thrived. That's when grapes would grow in Arctic areas and 
things like that. So people panic with all of this because they have an agenda that is behind the scenes on all of this stuff. They want to control your life, they want to spend your money, and they want to dispense with any idea that there is a God and we have any accountability to God. It's always a moral issue. Do you remember back when Ron Carlson was still living and he would do his presentation on evolution? And he told a story when he did that, that he was at a place where he said that evolution does not follow the scientific method. And then he began to prove it. And he said that a biology professor at a university that was local came up and said, You're right, it doesn't follow the scientific method. And what you said makes sense, but I'll never believe in God. And Dr. Ron said, Why? And he said, because if there is a God, it means there is a morality. And if there's a morality, it means I'm accountable and I want to live the way that I want to live. That's the bottom line on all of this. Let's call it what it is, junk. Okay? And so when we look at this, it has to affect life. And babies have to be no more than just animal life. Got too many deer out here in these woods? Not any woods over there, but you know what I mean. And uh, what do we do? Send the hunters in, thin the herd. So if we've got too many people on the earth, what do we do? Uh, just animals, thin the herd. And abortion is one way they're trying to thin the herd and through global warming and government control and all of this kind of stuff. And so uh, we've got to be uh, able to see through all of this. God made us in His image and gave us dominion over the earth and gave us this earth to use. Let's use it and use it for His glory. Uh, in Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 and 2, you remember uh, Rachel and Leah? They were both married to Jacob. Jacob worked for his uh, uh, relative Laban, and he said, I really want to marry Rachel. And Laban goes, okay, work for seven years, and then you can have her. And then he tricked her, and he gave her Leah instead of Rachel. And then when Jacob found out, he goes, hey, I wanted the other one. Well, work another seven years, you can have her too. And so uh, he did. He must have really loved her. But you remember that uh, Leah was able to have children and Rachel was not. And Rachel, in Genesis 30, verses 1 and 2, here's the cry of her heart. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, now listen to this, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob comes back and he says, his anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God? You see, there was one thing that they understood. Children came from God. Children were a gift from God. And so uh, even way back in those primitive times, they understood all of that, and they understood it very, very well. Psalm 139. Just go ahead and turn in your Bibles and look at Psalm 139. And that's the one where David says you've searched me and known me. You know everything about me even when I sit down and rise up and discern all of my thoughts and all of those things. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. I mean that's amazing that God knows each of us that intimately, that personally out of all the people on the earth. He knows it. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. This is incredible. And you hem me in behind and before, 
and you lay your hand upon me, you wonder why some doors are shut to you, God shut them. You wonder why some talent escapes you, God didn't give it to you, and all of that. It's to keep you where you're supposed to be. And uh, all of this, David says, this is just too wonderful for me, and it is high, I cannot attain it. Now, I want you to look down at, at verse 13. Okay? Psalm 139, verse 13. When David talks about all of this and the sovereign control of the Lord that he can't even comprehend, then it leads into this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. You crocheted me in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That means you're just in a place where nobody could see. Obviously it was in the womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me. When as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. Boy, there's a lot of sand, isn't there? I awake and I am still with you. So David says, this goes back to before I even knew anything. Back when I was in my mother's womb, you were knitting me together. Putting me together just the way I'm supposed to be. You see, there's a reason why David killed the giant Goliath and no one else did. That's what he was made to do. That's what he was knit together to do. There's a reason why Saul would slay his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David was made for that. And that was the gift that God gave him to be a mighty warrior and a tactician in battle and skillful with the sword and all of that. David recognized all of that. And he recognized that in the way that he was made and the way that he was living, that was the hand of God. God hemmed him in so that there were just some things David wasn't going to be able to do. There were some options David wasn't going to have. But God had him right where he wanted him to do what he wanted him to do. And what a great, great, great person uh, King David was. And he gives all the glory to the Lord. He didn't take any of it for himself like we try to do sometimes. And number four. God raises up new generations for his glory. The Bible says in Psalm 127.3 again. The fruit of the, of the womb is a reward. And notice how all of the junk that we're going through. Okay. Let's think about them. Uh, abortion does not reproduce. It takes life. Homosexuality does not reproduce, it takes life. The transgender movement does not reproduce, it takes life. And we can go on and on and on and on. Why is it that God said, reproduce, fill the earth, and everything that comes along says, nope, we'll have our way and do what we want and get our kicks, but no kids, no kids, no kids, no kids. In fact, it's impossible for them to do that. Why is our society so against children why is it that everything that is a fad now and everything everybody's falling for and everything the entertainment uh, industry is going toward and even some churches are going toward k-12 
keep us from doing what God commanded us to do in Genesis? What's going on? And I kind of see the enemy working in here and all of these perversions and all of that uh, have a negative view toward um, reproduction and all of that. And uh, people want sex without consequences. And God says, no, children are a reward from all of that. But make no mistake, even though you may do it in a way where you can have a child, I am the one that opened the womb. I'm the one that gave you conception. I'm the one that allowed that child to uh, live. So children are not a punishment, but they are a reward. And I close with this in Psalm 78. Talks about what to tell the coming generation. And yet we're living in a society that a lot of people, they don't care if there is another generation or not. Well, we should. We're the church. We're God's people. And we are to pass the faith along. And if you can't have children biologically, you can adopt. That's always an option. And even if you don't feel led to do that, there are children in the church and children in your neighborhood who need you as a mom or a dad or a grandma and a grandpa uh, help them out because we've got to tell the children. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers told us. We will not hide them from their children but to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and He appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, in other words, it's to go on and on, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. And that's kind of what Psalm 127 has been saying, hadn't it? We're barking up the wrong tree. We're going the wrong way. We're trying to make things work and have life and have society and have culture and make it all together. But oh, no, thank you, Lord. We don't, we don't need you. We've got this and we can handle all of this. And it is all unraveling before our eyes. What's our hope? Well, our hope is going to be the Lord. And when we think about the hope of the Lord, then it comes down to this. Nobody else is going to call on the Lord except the people of God. And the people of God have got to pray and have got to stand up. And we've got to do what the world doesn't do and value these lives that God has created in His image. And we've got to find a way to teach them and to pass it on. And we've got to be enthusiastic about it because children are not a punishment. Children are a reward from God. Valuable and precious in His sight. I'd like to have us... Have a word of prayer real quick. And you've got your newsletter there and you've got uh, people on there that you want to contact, minister to, and people that you certainly want to pray for and you'll have time to do this. Awana won't be quite out yet. But let's pray together first, okay? Father, we want to come to you and ask you to forgive us as we consider children to be disposable, just throw away things that get in the way and things that we don't really need. 
when you call them a heritage and you call them a reward. Father, forgive us when we get so perverse and perverted on things that we don't have any intention of doing what you commanded us to do. We're more concerned about Mother Nature than we are Father God. We're more concerned about Mother Earth than we are what you have commanded us to do. We're more concerned about the uh, wildlife and animals and climate change and all of that than we are pleasing a holy God. And then, Father, we try to do so much in our own strength, and our own power, by our own intellect. We think we are so smart. We think that because we landed a man on the moon and they could walk on the moon and come back safely, that somehow that makes us just, you know, big dogs. And we fail to recognize the fact that you're the God that created the universe with such order that people could mathematically figure out how to get us to the moon and to get us back. And that all came from you. Forgive us, Lord. We're, we're just a sorry, sorry generation. But Father, I have hope. Because where sin abounds, there does grace much more abound. And we pray for your grace. We pray for spiritual awakening. And we pray, Father, that maybe you would plant the seeds of it, maybe back there tonight in our nursery or in our Awana clubs. Maybe the seeds are being planted for the next, I don't know, maybe Billy Graham, for the next Charles Spurgeon, for the next John MacArthur. I don't know. It could be, Lord, that there's a little girl back there now and she's going to raise a family that is going to rock this nation and this culture to its foundation and shake it to its foundation for the glory of God. And I pray we would always think like that. Maybe Isaac, and uh, as he's meeting with the students tonight, maybe one of those knot-headed teenagers are going to turn out to be someone who is the kind of the, the, the captain of the next great awakening in the United States. Maybe one of them is going to be president. Maybe one of them is going to be secretary of state. Maybe one of them is going to be a denominational leader or a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. We just don't know. But, oh, Lord, we pray. Protect them. Guard them. Let them be valued by us and certainly by their families. Let them be protected from drugs and alcohol and immorality and perversion and uh, evolutionary thought and all of that. Please, Lord, give them your word. Plant it deep in their heart. And do it, Lord, so that they would grow up to love you, to serve you, to be involved in the, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim the word of God and to be a force for their generation. And long after we're gone, may we be able to reap rewards from this night when we prayed for the people, the children that you made and that you have given us. We receive them as a reward and as a heritage. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.